So this week on Three Sides of the Coin, I'm not even on the show, but it's okay because uh, we are joined by Gilmore from Triumph. Um, and from what I was told, obviously I was not there, that work went completely fanboy. So, so yeah. I think uh, this is going to be a good episode. I'm going to have to go watch it after just because I just want to watch Mark. If, if you don't laugh at Mark, something's wrong with you. <laughs> yeah. Stick around and watch. This three sides of the coin. Talking all things kiss. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to... Three sides of the coin. Every month, more than 50,000 musicians, industry professionals, and rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and KISS fans from around the world listen and engage with the Three Sides of the Coin podcast. If you have a new release or a product or service and would like to reach this audience, get in touch with Michael to discuss sponsorship opportunities. Visit threesidesofthecoin.com. Hey, Cameo. It's three sides of the coin, and we're here, and you can hire us to say something on video for you. But but before everybody like rolls their eyes and goes, what the hell am I hiring three sides for? We are donating 100% of the money we raise to charity, okay? So think about that when you want us to say something. We can do a birthday shout-out, an anniversary shout-out. Lisa can do like a Paul Stanley rap. Couldn't you, Lisa? Would you do that, please? I can sing Read My Body. I can do a Paul Stanley rap. Anything that you want to do, I'll do. Mark, well, not everything. Would, would, would you get up and go open something? No, but I'll say something funny. <laughs> I'll read a comment. <laughs> yeah, Tommy will. Re- you can send Tommy a comment and he'll read it. Now, seriously, you guys all know what Cameo is all about. We'll do a video shout out for any occasion saying anything you want. You know, I don't know if we've even got any limits. You could you could have us say something like three sides of the coin sucks and we'll do mm-hmm. that. Well, I mean, does, we're, we're real easy here. So head over to cameo.com. Look for three sides of the coin. The four of us will get together and record a video message for you donating all of our money to charity. Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. Hard to talk because I haven't been able to say a word edgewise after you watch this episode. Um, this is, without question, the king of fanboy episodes featuring Mark. Yeah. And Gilmore from Triumph. Representing, baby. From Triumph sits down with us. And, you know, we've joked about Mark going fanboy, and he has with all due respect, Mark, you have gone fanboy before, but not like this. to this level. Let's just say he pretty much, much starts off the episode telling Gil how Gil did not sign his tour book. <laughs> but it wasn't his fault. I, you know, it wasn't his I don't fault. care if it was his fault. <laughs> you just don't do an interview with somebody and start later. off right off the bat. I met the band, but I didn't get Hold your on autograph second. on like the tour you said, book. It's total bro code. I wasn't going to go fucking cock block him. He was busy. But then it was up. I was waving at you from up. In the- <laughs> I did not say or do that. I waited patiently and never complained. Did you see Mark? I, hey! 
It's like, hi. no, no. Gil goes, I remember seeing a guy kissing a girl at the concert. <laughs> yeah, that was Ted Nugent. That's that was at the Ted yeah, Nugent show. Right. It was three girls. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, I got that story. Listen, in all seriousness, this is an incredible interview between Mark and Gil. I mean, Tommy and I, we might ask half a question during the whole episode, but that's fine because. Mark has this one nailed and totally in control. I wasn't even fucking there. We didn't let Lisa in because we didn't want to. We didn't want to interrupt Mark. He was just rolling in fanboy if mode. If you would have said, if you would have messaged Michael and said, "I'm topless," trust me, you would have gotten in. <laughs> I'm changing my shirt. <laughs> we would have just. That would have been the moment where we would have seen where Mark's devotion was. Yeah, Gil which is or really Lisa. more important. You know, would he, would he have said, stopped asking the question? I know where it would have been. Gil. No, anyway, Gil. So do you remember that time? <laughs> exactly. Mike Mike said Germans and Tommy said forget it, he's rolling. <laughs> this 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 not only was it a great interview with hats off to Mark, really good questions, although as he defines them, very geeky questions. They are. But only a fan would come up with questions that geeky and that deep. Yeah. But it's a very funny episode, too. Mainly because you just what a great sit, guy. sit back and just watch Mark. Just watch Mark. <laughs> he so desperately wanted to interrupt Gil a few times to ask two more questions. And Gil would just keep talking. You smart <laughs> man. Was like, I, got, <laughs> I got two more questions. Two. I have hey, guys, look, picture. I prepared. I never do this. Oh, my God. He has a note. Lisa, he's not he's not going to throw away the note paper, you know. That's going to go down in the basement and put into a no, scrapbook. Next time he meets Gil, he's going to make sure he gets that signed. I'll oh. make Gil sign that. I'll ask him to sign <laughs> that. Instead. Oh. You know, I love you. We, we, you know, yeah, we, we, we love Mark, but this was, I mean, we can't tell you. We've been working on this interview for a month now, mm-hmm. and Mark has just been like, on the edge of his seat for a month. Did you get it yet? Is it confirmed yet? Is it confirmed oh my God. yet? I know, Is it confirmed? I know. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Cute. I'm 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 putting my questions together. I'm getting ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> this this would be like most of our listeners meeting Kiss. This yeah. is Mark meeting Triumph. Well, I gotta tell you, I, I gotta tell you on a quick aside, I'm gonna have a fanboy moment in a couple weeks when I go to the Sid and Marty Croft con. Oh, Liz wants to go really and, bad. And, and I'm going to meet Sid and Marty Croft. I'm gonna wow. meet HR Puff and stuff. <laughs> I'm going to meet Eddie Munster. I'm going to He's meet my buddy. I'm going to meet um the kid from Sigmund and the Sea Monster, who also was Jimmy in the fa- Magic Loop was in Family Affair. Yep. The, John the, the kids from Land of the Lost are going to be there. The official Freddy the Flute's going to be there. See if uh, if uh, Mr. Munster remembers you. <laughs> I kid you not. I'm going to be like in sixth grade heaven here with all of these people. And the whole night is going to end with watching. I just saw this, you bastard. The Puff and Stuff movie is going to be played on the big screen at the end of the night. Where 
where's that? It's well, obviously it's near you, right? Yeah, it's over in the East Bay. Over I, in the I East just Bay. saw your Facebook post, Mike. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I had to. I mean, Mark, 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 I literally posted that as it happened, too. I was just like, I gotta get this up right now. Um, you know what? Let's um let's just let's just let this roll. Yeah. This is is too good. We loved it. I know you're gonna love it. Mark is in absolute love with Gil. Uh, you know, a little bromance going on there never hurts, Mark. (laughs) Let it roll. Gilmore from Triumph and Mark Cicchini from Three Sides of the Corner. <laughs> Do you have something to say? Leave a voicemail or send us a text message. Call 320-515-4771. So before we jump into this week's great interview with Gilmore from Triumph, uh, last week we had Alex Michael on from Shameless. We did the world premiere of the Love is Blind video that features Bruce Kulick and a little montage at the beginning of the video. Thank you to everybody for checking out last week's episode. And there's been so many great comments about that. And everybody loves Alex and a lot of great comments about Shameless and the song. Uh, But Love is Blind is the song that Kiss dared to hide away for over 40 years until Alex made it happen with shameless it's now out and it features kiss legend bruce kulik on lead guitars you can check out love is blind everywhere and the new shameless album full album of music from alex and shameless it's going to be available on may 20th on vinyl cd cassette Ugh, come on alex cassette do you send a pencil so when it gets jammed in your cassette player you can you know the well, those of us old enough dealing with cassettes know how important a pencil is to have around your cassette tapes. Um, it's available on vinyl, CD, cassettes, and all digital play platforms. For more information on Love is Blind, on Shameless, the release of the upcoming album, uh, check out shamelessrock.com. Alex is a big KISS fan, and we got to support KISS fans who make some amazing products, and Shameless has been doing some great stuff, so check it out. Uh, three sides of the coin, um, fans, devotees, whatever. Hey, I'm super excited to have a huge influence on my musical tastes and my musical abilities and just a huge inspiration all the way around. Mr. Gilmore from Triumph. So, hey, guys. To have you here. Uh, we're you, here Gil. and let's get this uh, right out of the gate. Um, documentary after all these years. How did that come about? Well, I was uh, chatting with uh, our longtime video director, Don Allen, and, uh, you know, he mentioned how much archival footage we had. And we had previously donated all our our music and and video archives and, you know, uh, topic, uh, newspaper, I suppose, uh, archives and so on to University of Toronto's uh, music archive. Uh, which is run out of their library system. So we knew everything was in great shape. We knew it was all cataloged. We knew it was all in spreadsheets and so on. So it kind of made things easy to retrieve all this stuff. He uh, reached out to Peter Goddard, a great Canadian journalist uh, and friend of the band who's uh, recently uh, passed away, unfortunately. Uh, I love Peter. And Peter wrote the initial treatment. After uh, 
Don got it to the point where, you know, he had the, the media partners and so on. He decided that Banger Films was, it was more in their wheelhouse uh, than maybe his own. And then he partnered. Uh, so it became a co-production with Banger. And, you know, Banger's legacy with, uh, with Iron Maiden and Alice Cooper and ZZ Top and Rush and the list goes on and on. They've done so many great films. Um, they collaborated from there on. Um, Sam Dunn had Mark uh, Riccardelli as his, as his uh, co-director. And, uh, you know, at this point, when the boys in Triumph finally got to see what they did, we just got to bow down to them. Speaking of the, the, the we're not worthy thing, we just thought they did a phenomenal job. Mm -hmm. Really, it was their lens into our career. It, wasn't our, it was not our ideas that caused the, the narrative. It was their directorial uh, finesse and capabilities and artistry that really made this movie. Yeah, I was really very nice fortunate. To, go ahead, go ahead, Tommy. I was just saying that's really cool for you to give them props like that, you know, because I'm sure they work in so hard um, for you guys. And it's just great that you recognize that they're part of it. I think that's really cool. Yeah, by the end of it, I was joking with Sam Dunn about I'd never disagree with him again on anything because I was always wrong. That <laughs> 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 was funny. But, you know, you see the pieces, you know, the rushes and stuff that are short and you go, what, really? Like, how's that going to work? Because you're not seeing what he's seeing. Right. And, uh, you know, I always, I, I always think it just reminds me of when it's, you know, your fifth birthday party or your sixth birthday party and your parents buy you a puzzle and they dump all the puzzle pieces on the kitchen table and it looks like nothing. It looks like a heap of parts. And then you start putting the puzzle pieces together. And after two hours, slaving away on the puzzle suddenly you have you know the image of a horse and it looks great and and that was what it was like here because we saw these bits and pieces and I'm, I'm like yeah i don't think that's interesting i don't think that's got great you know nobody's going to care about that but you know i don't know what we were looking for as a band because you know when they stitched it all together and we went oh there's a whole story there it all makes sense now and you know we have so many wacky characters and, uh, you know, so many twists and turns in the story that it, it's almost a story that has no story. It just, it, 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 it goes around when you think it's going to turn right, it turns left. You think it's going to go up, it goes down. So everything is, um, it really just comes down to that, that lens of the director uh, and, the, and the editorial uh, that goes along with it that, that creates that, that magic. You know, so it's yeah, it was all them. <laughs> but do you but do you also think too that being that you are a member of the band, that maybe you don't see it through the same eyes as your fans? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, we don't. Uh I know we're way too close to it. Uh we really enjoyed it. But for example, when I watch it with my family, they're seeing a different movie than I saw. Right. You know, my, my, my wife and my kids, they, they're seeing a different movie. And and it, it's it's hard to explain that, but it's just it's it's difficult almost to watch a documentary about your own career where in you know in an hour and a half they're taking hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of concerts uh all the records all the songs that's all just goes whoosh, like this in an accordion and there you go there's a bird's eye view into it and um you know and spiced with like i said some wacky uh wacky turnabouts like humor and so on that was the only uh, that was actually the only input I had to the film that was meaningful when Sam asked us in the beginning, he says, is there anything you guys actually want to see in this film? 
And I said, the only thing I care about is that there's got to be humor in it because that was the glue that kept us together. That's the glue that brought us back together to this day when Mike and Rick and Gil get together. I mean, the laughter is over the top. And we always thought that you had to have fun. You couldn't take it too seriously. And, uh, you know, I wanted that to come across in the film. So I know it's got some sad moments in it too, but I, I hope the, the humor, uh, you know, came through. And then of course, a couple of the, couple of the people that were, that were in the film that just knocked it out of the park from a funny bone point of view. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm very fortunate. Uh, I was able to get a copy here in the States because like I said, being a geek, I'm, I, beg, borrowed, and steal to find <laughs> a copy. And I did get someone to send me from one from Crave. Um, so don't worry, I'm still going to buy it. I can't wait. So um, I loved it. Absolutely. I, it was very reminiscent of the super duper Alice Cooper. I, I loved how they put the animation in that so helped tell the story. Um, I love that. And speaking of the humor thing, uh, you telling the story with the flamethrower thing was so freaking cool um you know i again i cannot recommend this thing um enough i it's it's a must-have uh for any you know hard rock metal fan or just anybody who likes good documentaries just you're right banger films does a phenomenal job on everything they do and and yours is right up there at the top i mean how it's just so well done the pacing and i tell you what i thought was really cool you guys threw so much time in for the fans it wasn't expected because it was like kind of halfway through and then the whole fan thing came in. I thought that was really, really, uh, really special. And I like how you, um, and I'm not going to ruin anything, but you guys, you know, pinpoint a couple pivotal, pivotal fans and their stories and how much triumph meant to them. And, you know, how you got the, uh, you know, the, the, the big gathering going, which, which, you know, Gil, there's a few things being that this is a kiss themed podcast that you you and kiss kind of incorporate a few things that are really i, I thought it was kind of cool too because you you know there was a mention of kiss in the um you know in the in the documentary um you mentioned all the guys who were blowing stuff up and had stage shows and that was one of the things too that really you know my first time seeing you guys was 1980 um I was living in Windsor at the time and uh, I went to school in Canada for a couple of years and, you know, triumph was just so much to me. I'll get to the story, how I found triumph because I, I got, I got rock and roll machine when it was new um, on a trip to Toronto. I played hockey my whole life. I still do. And we used to take, and I live in Detroit. Um, we used to go to Toronto and play um, tournaments. And are you familiar with building do you remember? Do you remember? Uh, yeah. You, you mean, uh, you know, where you would stay at someone's house? Yes, yes, yes. Well, I mean, you could never do that now. They would literally drop us off on, at the rink on Friday and Sunday. Our parents would pick us up and we'd go home with some on the other on the other team. Um, this would have been spring of 78. Rock and roll machine had come out just a few months earlier. I'm 12. I'm wearing a Kiss t-shirt over this these people's house and they the kid's older brother goes kiss sucks i said what are you talking about they're the greatest he goes there's a band here in toronto wipe the freaking ground with them and i'm like who he says triumph i'm like i've never heard of triumph what is that all about he goes they have a record out and he says i can get one for you and i said okay 
I said, how much are they? My dad gave me $5 for the weekend. <laughs> so I gave him my five bucks. He comes back with it. And all I can do is just stare. Remember the picture of Rick on the back. I mean, just, you know, just everything just looks so cool. Well, I take it home, play it constantly. I mean, just, this is the greatest musical thing. The following year, uh, this would have been in spring of 79. My art teacher used to let us listen to the radio and the noon program would play new music and they played lay it on the line. And I'm like, Oh my God, I know that that's triumph. I know that, but this isn't on the record. And my 13 year old mind at that time, I'm going, well, I'm going to Toronto in a couple of weeks for another hockey tournament. Cause it didn't dawn on me. I could buy a, a, a you know, triumph record in the united states you had to be in toronto to get one <laughs> i was a kid and i didn't know but anyways um brought home just the game and i mean those two records are so pivotal pivotal for me and also i've been i started playing drums in 1978 and finding drummers who led their band and sang was like almost zero except for you and that and i set my kid up i remember i took like every to add toms so I could do the role in rock and roll machine. It was such a, again, that that's how, you know, that's one of the cool things about doing the show. You get to meet or, you know, at least uh, through here. Although, and before I start my, my geeky questions, this isn't geeky, Mark. Oh, this is geeky. <laughs> this is gets really geeky. Remember that time that you played at the Toronto? <laughs> no, no, no. That's true. That's true. <laughs> My tour book downstairs, I met I met the three of them, except I didn't meet Gil because he was talking to some girls after the Kobo show. Oh, but I got Rick. Yeah. I, yeah, I got Rick and Mike to sign my tour book. Gil was the only one who didn't sign my tour book because he was talking to girls. <laughs> <laughs> do I get extra points for that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah actually, smart. for me, you do. <laughs> Next time, try a wig and some lipstick. <laughs> Hey, I'm going to get to some serious, serious geeky um, questions. Um, Gil, I'm a big ELP fan too. Is the first album cover was that any was that any ELP inspired? Because it kind of looks a little bit like the trilogy album cover. Or did you have any say in that? Because I know how you you kind of ran a lot of stuff. Did you? Was that anything that uh, that uh, yeah. that uh, a fire cover work? What's that? Oh, the, I didn't get the, the real no. fire cover. We have so many covers on. We have six covers between the first two albums. Which which cover are you talking about? Oh, I'm talking about the very first, the the Canadian version, the attic version of Rock and Roll Machine with just the, the silhouettes of the faces. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of that was kind of bizarre, but that was the concept of the whoever was getting paid to you know produce the art and we had this whole thing about you know kind of fire and we had when we started before we found rick we had this crazy poster with a uh, devil's head on it yeah what's in the movie i saw that that was cool yeah yeah so so the guy goes oh i know what we'll do and they took this goo and they greased our hair back with some kind of like like almost like vaseline and then they sprayed our faces uh, first of all, they made us look red, like we were burning. Then they, then they, then they used some some stuff. I think it was some kind of glycerin to make it look like we were sweating. 
So we had this pound of grease pulling our hair back. We had all these bubbles on our face, which were supposed to look like beads of sweat. They did. It was pretty good. And our skin was red. So the idea was we were coming through this flaming hole, you know. And all I could think of when we were doing it was, uh, you know, one of my favorite, you know, country songs, you know, Ring of Fire. <laughs> well, I could think of. Yeah, because that was because is there a is there a cover before the that cover for in the beginning? No, that in the beginning cover is you know we kind of thought that first cover sucked, and and so in the beginning is when uh, when the album was reissued. That was one of the reissue covers. I quite like that cover, you know, with the big granite boulder on it and stuff. Rock and Roll Machine. You mentioned the first cover. I thought the first cover was by far the best. I thought so, so the too. First, the first one is the one you mentioned that has an image of Rick. Uh, you know, it basically it looks like the, the the three guys traveling through space and with Rick on the back. I thought that one was great, but then we had a horrible one uh, after that that we called the ice cream cone cover, which had fake pyro. <laughs> it was brutal. And then we had another one that's it's okay, but it's it's kind of graphic. So I don't know the why it got repackaged again. But you know, when we got control of the of the catalog, we went with the original artwork because it was it was the best on Rock and Roll Machine. The rest of the artwork as we move forward, you know, we, we realized Rick was a better artist than the people that were being hired to make these album covers. So the Just a Game album cover is pretty much if not entirely, you know, Rick Emmett. And, you know, the ones that are, uh, you know, like the uh, the Man in the Wheel on Thunder 7 and uh, all our logos and everything, so much of that is all Rick's personal artwork. That's what's, I think, most memorable is actually the stuff he penned. That's pretty cool. I, I think inside the, because I, I got the record store day thing, I believe there's some sketches in there and the, uh, and the, the the extra stuff that they got and that, by the way i love that um it's so nice having that on vinyl i had that i believe that was a was that that was a radio broadcast right um the 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 no the cleveland one a live performance that was recorded uh the last time we played public hall in in cleveland before we started playing uh richfield coliseum and uh it was uh, recorded to a mobile truck. Okay, because um, I know again, I you know just I, I collect live recordings. I love them. I have the one I think from Chicago from '79, which is really good. And uh, like I said, the one that came in the record store box just absolutely fell in love with it. Just uh, it's, it's such a great recording. Are you guys going to re-release that? Um, is a standalone, you know, not a record store day sort of thing. Because I know some people that complain they didn't get one. I, matter of fact, I got the last one at the store I went to. I was so excited. Uh, are you guys going to re-release that? I, I think there's a chance. I think I'm, I, I think also you jogged my memory there. I think maybe there was a radio broadcast at one time associated with that concert, but I, I could be actually be wrong. I'm not, I'm not certain, but uh, we've got in our, in the vaults at university of Toronto, there is an awful lot of unreleased Triumph um, material. So yeah, there will be some more. Uh, there will be some more uh, uh, records uh, over over time, and 
that particular recording, which we're referring it now as to as live in Cleveland, um, I think, yes, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I think you can you can get that uh, record as a standalone uh, right now uh, at what we what what's called the vault. So on the triumphmusic.com uh, website, there's a section called the vault, and in the vault, uh, which is it's 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 kind of it's not really a merch store. <laughs> I'm not trying to do a pitch, but it's a it's hey, come on, it's a kiss podcast. podcast. <laughs> it's, an, it's an archive, and it's also uh, have some things in it that you can buy. And one of the things is that live in Cleveland album. There you go. Um, more geeky questions here. A progressions of power, which I absolutely love. I found that a darker, you know, especially after um, just the game. Was that was that on purpose? I, I thought that was more of a, a, a heavier, darker record. And did you guys try and because that one really didn't have any you know, well, when you look at something like, um, you know, Magic Power or something, that really didn't have anything single-wise. Uh, but again, that's what, much like Van Halen's, um, you know, Fair Warning, that, that's what I really was digging. I like that heavier um, sort of stuff. I mean, was Progressions of Power that way on purpose? And did you, on the next record, which obviously kind of, you know, kicked the doors wide open, you know, for huge success, um, did you guys purposefully go trying to find a single like uh, Magic Power? Well, Progressions of Power was uh, a darker record, you know, by design. I mean, we, we had just decided at that moment that we wanted to try using less microphones on the drums because I, I couldn't stand the drum sounds on, on Just a Game. And uh, so we went for a, a much more of a live approach on, on the kit. Like we actually recorded the kit in the back bay uh, loading dock area of the studio that we were working at at the time it was just before Metalworks was built. So um, yeah, the drums sound completely different and there's a lot of bleed happening, uh, you know, that wasn't present on, uh, on uh, just a game. So, uh, and then and as far as singles go, yeah, you're right. Except that we never tried to have singles. The singles we had were flukes because we always thought of ourselves as a, you know, an album, uh, band or, or uh, you know, at the time it sounds funny to say it now, but, you know, the, the, the FM stations and the markets were the ones that, you know, where they were our partners in taking our music to people. So, you know, a song like I Live, from the Week, I Live for the Weekend. Love it. Record, when it got played every Friday at every station in America and, you know, in, in the UK, for example, is our first hit in the UK. So, yeah, the album had a lot of traction, but it didn't have the uh, it didn't have a pop single on it. That's for sure. But I love songs like uh, 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 "Hard Road." I mean, just uh, those songs just resonate. I mean, they're just so well written. You know, just uh, that's just good stuff. Um, here's something kind of geeky because, like I said, having the first, which I thought was the first triumph album at the time, "Rock and Roll Machine." How did the um, blinding light show end up on that Maxell sampler. I'm sure you know about that. End up on where? A Maxell um, compilation album. That's how I found that song way back when. And, and it's funny, another local guy here who's one of my music buddies, when we first met one another, when we started talking 
about bands we love. And I brought up Trump. He's like, that song, Blinding Light Show. And at the time, I didn't have, I mean, this is obviously years ago. It's on a Maxell double record sampler. You, you're not familiar with that? No, it's got to be a bootleg or something like that. Oh, no, it's official. It's from Maxell Tapes. I think yeah, I've yeah. got that. I think I've got that album. It's it's a white album, right? Yes, yes, Michael. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> well, you got one on me because I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I would think it's some kind of I would think it's some kind of like illegal copy or something. But you know what? Take us take a snapshot of it. And oh, I it, will. And send it to uh, Chip and we'll look. I could be totally wrong. It could have been a you, you know how they have those license deals back then? Like we, yeah. we must have had. Honestly, we, we, we must have, there must be a hundred licenses of various Triumph songs. So, uh, oh, wait a sec. Yeah, it's actually coming back to me now. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There was a license. So that that's exactly what that is. Okay, so it's not a bootleg, but I guess why it's a bootleg to me, or it's what it's one of these derivative records, you know, like, you know, greatest rock songs of the 80s, you know, and it's, you know, Triumph and, and whoever and whoever and whoever, you know, and we're one of the bands on the compilation. So that's what that is. Cool, cool. Do you guys, uh, hold on, I want to ask my co-host before I hog everything, which is what I do. When nice, I have a question. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I'd like to take you back to the statement you just made a short time ago about the record that you didn't like the drum sound on. How does that happen? Do you go in with the intention of it sounding a certain way in your head? You guys record the record, you mix it down, and then you're like, this is not what I thought. How, how does that kind of thing happen? Well, you know, we were trusting in engineers at that point. And, um, uh, you know, you know, what ends up happening is there was a, there was an evolution. And, and I, I know I'm not giving away any secrets here or anything that you guys aren't aware of that, you know, the way recordings evolved from, let's say, the, the, the multi-track recordings that's that, that in the early days of the Beatles and so on in the 60s yeah. and how it migrated into the 70s and how the sounds of the 70s migrated into the 80s where we got into digital and Pro Tools and how it migrated into the 90s where we got back to grunge and kind of live recording. So we went through all these phases that engineers and, and, and so on engaged in these different you know, audio journeys. And at that particular moment in time, uh, our, our, uh, our engineer at the, at, at the moment, uh, he decided that there was this, it was a, a sort of a triangular glass ISO booth at a studio that we were at that he put the drums in. And uh, I don't know, he just, he thought that was going to be a great sound. And it was also kind of, to me, there was, there's been a lot of really bad things that engineers have done over the years. And this was one of those things when the, the ultimate you know, put the wallet on the drums kind of maneuver. And yeah. uh, you know what I'm talking about, Mark, if you're a drummer. Yes. So like they, he just padded the heck out of the drums and it just kills the overtones in them. So, you know, it's funny when the whole record is mixed and everything and it's, you know, because it was recorded on a Neve console is a great sounding console. You know, a lot of people still, you know, like the sounds or whatever. I personally just hate them. So, um, you know, I, I like, so my, if you were to ask me, I'd say, well, go listen to the drum tones on Allied Forces, which was recorded at Metalworks in a wood room rather than drum tones that were recorded in a glass room, glass room. Uh, a small glass room versus a medium sized wood room. Um, notwithstanding the fact that I tuned them myself uh, on Allied Forces and I, I didn't have this, this overabundance of, uh, you know, uh, just stuff that gummed up the tone of the drums. That's all I'll call it. 
it was okay. well-intentioned at the time. I mean, this is what engineers were doing and thought it was really hip, you know. We're not the only ones. I mean, go listen to a lot of records from the same couple of years and hear all these crummy drum sounds. Well, and that's the thing that's always so interesting to me because as just as someone who loves music, I'm not a, a drummer or a musician, but you can hear like how crisp Nigel Olson's drums are on like Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, the Elton John record. And then something else that's recorded in the same year sounds like mud. <laughs> Because I don't know how else to describe it, but it no, does. It's very I, I always think, well, I don't get it. I, I've never understood how it can be that drastically different. Well, but Mike, that, you're now talking bass guitar, because that's one of my favorite Mike Levine pokes. You know, <laughs> whenever we get going at each other, I go, I used to the wall of mud. <laughs> Gil, Gil, let me ask you. So when you get to the point where you're like, I don't like this drum sound. Is it too late for you to go back and say, scrap it and let's do it again? Or were you guys not in a position to have that ability to push back? Yeah, I was a kid, you know, and this engineer was, you know, older and more experienced and had credentials. And, you know, so I, I was just kind of like, OK, I guess I got to shut up and go along with the program here. He knows better than I do. But you know, that was a transition because right after that, I went, no, 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 I should have listened to my own instincts. That's why with progressions of power, I said, you yeah, know, huge difference. Yeah. I said, look, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to use minimal miking and we're going to have an ambient environment. And of course, you know, what drummer doesn't like Led Zeppelin. So I think that was another thing that was going on is every drummer on the planet was realizing that they'd created some magic, you know, the with Eddie Kramer and some of the, uh, you know, the British engineers that had, that had recorded John Bonham's drums a certain way. Everyone assumed John Bonham's drums, you know, had this huge, heavy sound. They really didn't. Like, he, he had kind of a, I'll just call it a conventional set of, of Ludwig drums. It was all about how they were recorded, not so much about the actual source. You can only get so much out of a drum. So, you know, John Bonham's snare drum was actually a fairly toppy sounding snare drum. So, you know, it was a crisp sound and it was it was fairly toppy. He had a large kick drum and he had fairly big toms, uh, but they were tuned in a convention. I call it conventional tuning. But by the time they were they were placed where they were placed in the acoustic environment, they were placed in the way they were mic'd and then the way they were they were produced uh, in the mix where, you know, the re reverbs and, and compressors and equalizers and so on do their magic. I mean, they're, that's a masterpiece uh, drum tone. And, you know, I know, Mark, you're a drummer. Like, can you find out, if we had 100 drummers here, do you think there would be one that would say, oh, no, Led Zeppelin's drum tones are so bad? <laughs> Nobody. No, Nobody 100%. at all. Yes, Everyone love them, right? So, you know, it's funny, funny, though, going back to the, especially the role in, uh, in Hold On. You know, you, I yeah. love that drum tone. You, you don't like that? Not now, no, no. Didn't like it then, don't like it now. But, you know, you, you, music is art. You know, you, you look back at stuff, there's piles of stuff that triumphed that I, that I do like, and there's piles of stuff that I don't like. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I think, you know, music is in the, in the eye of the beholder. So, you know, I'm a fan of the music and the people that I'm a fan of, you know, which, uh, you know, if you ask John Bonham about drums, you know, 
where, where, you know, where did he, what did he listen to and what did, you know, where was he influenced? And you can just see right back to like the Willie Dixon. James Brown. You, you could oh, probably yeah, listen to him. Absolutely. Yeah. Drummers like Al Jackson, who's my first drummer that I really looked at was Al Jackson and Booker T and the MGs. You know, you can't tell me that Charlie Watts wasn't listening to Al Jackson because oh, you can, exactly right there in the grooves, you can hear it, you know? Hey, Gil, speaking of which, and I and you didn't go over much, at, I don't think at all, on, on the documentary. And this is where there's a big kiss tie. Kiss's album, Creatures of the Night, huge drum sound. But that one was without the original band. It was just with Gene and Paul and that Eric Carr and, and Vinnie Vince and a couple other guitar players. That... That record, I think, has more in line with what Kiss was about because they were going through a, a phase that they were trying to be pop and then did the concept record. And but they really came out with an aggressive, hard and heavy hard rock metal type album. And it was what the fans wanted, but it wasn't the original band. And I'm going to tell you, I love Edge of Excess. I, I think I wish that record would have came out <laughs> five years earlier. I that record to me is everything that I love about Triumph, except Rick isn't on it. And, and for anybody who doesn't have that, it's not an easy one to find these days. But that record just free. I, I got to tell you, and that's one of the things I'm so happy that, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're having this conversation, you know, after Thunder 7, it got a little poppy for me. And yeah, there was some songs I liked, but it wasn't the, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the Bolero type stuff that you got, you know, on the rock and roll machine. It, it wasn't that really almost proggy, heavy, hard rock. It went into more of a commercial, which was cool. I mean, that was it. But I found Triumph, one of my all-time favorites, favorites was now kind of trying to sound like Foreigner or Ario Speedwagon. And I'm like, I remember just being, especially with like surveillance. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the opening track. I like, but when I put on that child of the city and, you know, just, it, it was like triumphs back. I, 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 I was, I'm very disappointed. And this is where it tied in with kiss kiss released this record. That's very much in the spirit of everything they're about. And at the time it, it just didn't do anything. And I'm just wondering, you had to have been disappointed with, you know, with 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 Edge of Six, uh, Edge of Excess, but that's a great album. I, I really wish there was a way for more people to, you know, hear it. It's just a, a dynamite album. Everything about it, it went back to the hard and heavy spirit of of Triumph. The question I have for you is: Had things gone better? with rick at the time do you think you could have made a record that heavy with rick if you understand the question that's uh, a good it's a good question you know and, and uh, a couple answers there like you know we were getting influenced by and I'm, I'm not faulting our label at the time because universal really did have our back um you know irving azoff was one of the best record executives um, that I've ever worked for, if not the best. And I, I know Irving wanted the best for the band, but their creative department, you know, they, you know, they, when they hired Ron Nevison or where they started going in that direction, um, their A&R, their A&R guys thought, well, it's our job. We've got to, 
you know, it's kind of like the goose that lays the golden egg. So you're, you're kind of like, can we get more golden eggs out of the goose? And so you had a couple of songs like you, you know, you mentioned REO and they had that album high fidelity and the thing sold like whatever over the top. But as you say, that happens when you have a top 40 crossover. So we were getting that, you know, can you guys please produce, you know, uh, you know, a couple of singles and uh, it's tough because you work with co-writers and then it, it, it kind of changes your, your it sound. It dilutes the, the sound, yeah. Yeah. So whereas when you're talking about Edge of Excesso, that's a different kettle of fish for different reasons. You know, like, first of all, that was obviously, you know, we were with working with Phil X. And, you know, I was really lucky that I, I work with two uh, phenomenal guitar players like, like Rick Emmett. You, you can't find a better guitar player on planet Earth than him. And you can say the same thing about Phil X. I mean, he's just tearing it up with Bon Jovi now doing an unbelievable job. I got a video of him at Wembley Stadium last year doing a solo and I just went, oh man, Phil just, he just, just rips, just shreds, you know, but darker, darker tone, different style of guitar playing. So the, the record we did Edge of Excess, we had nobody telling us what to do. That's why it's a harder edge record um, because it was, you know, kind of, you know, Mike and I and Phil are driving the bus and that it was more, it was, it was to our taste, let's say, uh, as opposed to someone else having a say in, in, in where the, uh, where the, where the songs were going to go or where the direction of the record was going to go. And I, I love that band. We, we got blindsided by the fact that we were on a label on Polygram at the time uh, called Victory Records and, and the, and the record label imploded uh, literally a month after the record was released. So it was, I, I don't know what happened business-wise to the label, but somehow they, they ran out of money or they lost their backing or something. So the record was never promoted, even though the first week it came out and all the tip sheets, it was like, it was like number one, most added across America or number two, most added across America. We had, a, we had over a hundred stations when it came out. So it was off to a phenomenal start. And then the record label collapsed and it just kind of went like, and it tanked, you know, but it, it, from, from my take on it was uh, love the band with Phil and, and, but it wasn't the same as the band with Rick because Rick has such a big signature uh, and, and, and you, you put Mike and Rick and Gill together, you put Mike, uh, Mike Gill and, uh, and Phil together. You actually have two different bands, completely different bands. Uh, yeah. There's some similarities, I suppose, but there's, almost more differences than similarities. All of a sudden you've got all my vocal and none of Rick's vocal. You've yeah, got I, I certainly missed that. But at the same time, uh, you know, it, it, the aggression was back. I remember at the time going, my band is back. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? There, there wasn't the pop. And, and look, I, I, I like some winners out. I like those songs too. But that's not the band I fell in love with. And it's the same thing with Kiss. I liked the hard and heavy band when in the early 80s when they tried you know the elder and and unmasked and going poppy that's not what i fell in love with mm -hmm. yeah this, well, I agree with you on kiss as well <laughs> as a fan i love kiss you know so well you know what um obviously the big lighted triumph sign the flames and the I'm sure you saw Kiss a time or two before you, or, or did you, or did you not, or just uh, talk well, about uh, your earlier, your, your first, you know, interaction with Kiss. Well, I guess what happened, uh, you know, I saw, I saw Kiss 
when they they had played the victory burlesque in in toronto of all places their first gig was at a at a burlesque house and i i missed that but the first time they played the gardens um which and they played the gardens sideways they played it the, the small setup in the gardens and uh i was there for that show i loved it and uh you know i was a that that made me a gene simmons fan for and a kiss fan forever basically was just going to that one show and you know when we started triumph like there was a few bands that influenced us you know uh zz top who were one of my favorite bands um you know they're they're mike and i were blues men and rick wasn't you know rick came from a progressive background he had a lot of classical influences so that's what made our sound a little different i think is because we had two blues players and then somebody who was you know coming from a completely different spot in the musical spectrum and having to to blend those those sounds so kiss didn't have those musical influences that were perceptible but their show, like, for example, just 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 the fact that they used a lot of pyro and they had, you know, elaborate lights and um, uh, yeah. And they had a you know, they they had a sign. They had a sign behind the upstage sign, which, of course, became really popular. And in, in just about every band had an upstage sign, not just, not just Triumph. But yeah, they were definitely an influence on our on our show, um, you know, from the outset, as as was, you know. The Who, for example, we elements of Jimi Hendrix that we were influenced by. Um, hard for me to really categorize where all these things came from because a lot of them were musical influences or even theatrical type uh, uh, of influences uh, to do with the way music was themed and segued and so on. And then as far as the show, it was kind of like a mixed bag of nuts. We just went, okay, we're going to take the best of kind of everything we've seen. So for example, lasers, we were always heavy, heavy, heavy into lasers, way more than other bands. Well, I, I, I saw lasers at Rich Stadium. I saw, I went to see Ted Nugent because I love Ted Nugent. Yeah, me too. And, and, uh, and Blue Oyster Cult was was playing this show with Leonard Skinner, Ted, and uh, this is before I met Ted. Um, and, uh, and Leonard Skinner, Ted Nugent, and Blue Oyster Cult. So. When Blue Oyster Club came out, it's the first time I ever saw a, a laser. And, you know, they were playing Godzilla or whatever, and this laser beam is doing this. And I'm going, man, that thing is cool, whatever that is. I didn't even know what it really was. I, I knew it was a laser, but the type or how it worked or anything. And I was a bit of a, a before Triumph, I was, you know, kind of into speakers and sound and lighting. And so that's what I was doing. That's, you know, I was more interested in that than I was in, uh you know continuing on with a band because bands were it was so hard to be successful you know everybody's band flopped not just my bands you know i mean everybody i know that actually had a big band uh when they started out they had three or four failures before anything really worked it's 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 one in a million where you know the original band just just blew up it just doesn't seem to happen or if it's the original band they sort of quasi fail for you know, a while, and then some. Suddenly, they're an overnight success after eight or nine years of nose to the grindstone. So, um, getting those influences came from bands that I saw, whether it was Kiss, Blue Oyster Cult, you know, Ted, Johnny Winter, you know, all the all of that, and all the musical influences. Same way, whether it was Zeppelin, my favorite uh, drummer, Ian Pace uh, from Deep Purple. He's he's number awesome. one on the chart. So, Amen. I always thought that progression and and uh, 
rock and roll machine. Is that from Speed King? That always reminded me of the the break in Speed King. It is a little similar. Yeah, it is a little similar. I mean, um, even even Deep Purple themselves. I mean, some of their songs seem to, you know, parody others. You know, like oh yeah, songs that I really like, like Highway Star, for example, reminds me of the same same sort of you know rhythm. That, and and you know you th- you're thinking like a drummer, Mark, because I, I know that you know you see the similarity in rhythms, and I do too. And and a lot of times I, I know I've sat in, a, in the dressing room with Mike and Rick, and I've said, "Well, that's like this," and they'll go, "What? You're crazy!" <laughs> Listen, and, the, and and you know Rick will play the chords, and it's like you know you think it's Mary had a little lamb, and it's really Jack and Jill went up the hill because you're a drummer, and we all know drummers aren't musicians. So, uh, but you but, guys can count to four, so that's good. Yeah, <laughs> that's all we need to do. Got to do it, you know. But uh, got a, we got a couple more. Uh, got a couple like more. We built a lot of fun at each other, you know. So we still do to this day. I mean, we get to. Oh, should be. Well, for this Nugs uh, uh, pay-per-view, uh, streaming pay-per-view, we had to get together and do a pre-show, and I mean, it almost turned into a circus. We they couldn't get a serious answer out of us for anything, you know. And it was like we were having so much fun. It was crazy. <laughs> that's good. Hey, a couple. Go ahead, Tommy. Well, I was just going to say, I think that's, I, 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 got I a just couple. love hearing the stories and I love hearing about the band because it's one of those things as a fan you want to hear. You want to hear that you guys had a lot of good times and you had fun together and you'd laugh and you love the music. I mean, because there's some people, as you know, in your industry that just get bitter as they get older. And it's just nice and refreshing to see that you, you know, you are the way you are. So, you know. Because well, for we, me, what triumph means to me is <laughs> summer fun around the around the lakes and, and hanging out with my friends. And those that's when I hear all of those songs, it takes me right back to that. And that's a, not an easy thing to do, to capture the imagination of teenage kids and have them, you know, have that sound just kind of stuck in their head. So that the minute I hear, you know, any one of those songs it takes you right back to where you were. I don't get the older bitter thing. And yet I, I understand totally what you're saying. And I think, man, oh man, like you got to figure it out. If you were lucky enough to have a band that was successful, when you know that 99.99% of the bands in the world toil away on obscurity, or if they're lucky, they play Joe's bar for a couple of bucks. Right. And you're lucky enough that people liked you and you had fans and, you know, God knows with me, I look at it like, you know, I've been doing, I've got a whole other life since Triumph, and yet I'm still going into coffee shops and, hey, Gil, you know, and blah, 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 you know, and I just constant people being nice to me and, and doing extra things for my family that they should, shouldn't be doing, but they're just trying to be really nice. Yeah. And, uh, it's, a, it's a blessing. If you're not grateful for that, you're, you're crazy. I mean, we only go around once, and who, gets to, who gets to do the the whole rock star thing. If you're a kid and you're trying to do that, like I wanted to be a hockey player in the NHL and then I found out I wasn't good enough. And that's what, <laughs> that's what happens in life. You find out, oh, I'm, not, okay, I'm not making the NHL. So then I go, okay, I know I'm going to be a golf pro. I'm going to be, you know, uh, on the PGA tour. That sounds like fun. And then I find out not good enough at that either. You no know, bomb out in a few tournaments and choke under the gun. And I go, okay, I guess I, don't, I guess I can't sink a three foot putt when the pressure's on or something, whatever it is, you know, hey, I got a couple more geeky questions. Off and you have to just go, wow, how was I lucky enough that this actually worked out? But what a great attitude. I mean, that's, that's how it should be. 
you know, because I can't, and I've said that to other people too, I can't even conceive of how great it must feel to be up on stage playing in front of tens of thousands of people and having them singing along with these songs that you recorded. I mean, I, I can't imagine it being any cooler than that. To me, that's it just is, like... So, it is super cool. And I, you know, when people say, well, why do you keep doing it? Why did you let the band break up or whatever? I go, you know what? It was a phase of my life, yeah. you know? And we were at a point where we, we achieved what we wanted to achieve. You know, when my dad passed away, I was like, I'm not leaving my mother alone in Toronto. Right. You know, when right. she's elderly and, and she, her heart's broken, I'm not going to be traveling. I'm not going to be 3,000 miles away. You know, and we we're having the issues with Rick at the time. And it was, it, we, were, we were lucky the way it worked out in retrospect because the timing worked out for me. It, 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 I was more comfortable getting behind the scenes again in Metalworks. And I've had, you know, my kids are, are working with me now uh so we'll have this phenomenal uh you know what how, how much better can it be than, than than you know you go you go to the studio and you you know you have your daughter uh with you you know or, or your son with you i mean it doesn't get any better than that that's awesome that is i mean that i know it's just you have such a great attitude and 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 so many people i've met uh, musicians same way but you always ever every once in a while you run across some that are just maybe it's because you have a family and you have I, I think that there's something that's similar about people like you from Canada and Midwest like we are there's something special about being from the Midwest it's you're just kind of you have a different outlook sometimes and maybe some of the folks that are you know east or west coasters from the beginning maybe that's part of it I, or you just people some people just I guess get Jaden, it's uh, the snow. It's the snow. <laughs> yeah. I think to your point, it's tough growing up in you know, like I would never want to grown up in uh, anywhere near Hollywood. I can tell you that. Even as an adult, like when I was in, when I've been to L.A. for the longest I've ever been there is two weeks, and man, I couldn't wait to leave. I mean, it was just like get me out of this place. I don't like recording here. I don't like the studios. Nothing. Great place to visit. You know, the industry's yeah. all there, but. You know, I don't know what it is. It's just kind of tearing away at your uh, sensibilities or something. And Manhattan's kind of the same way. I mean, it's, yeah, it's great to go to the Big Apple, experience it, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's a lot of all the great music lawyers are there. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I'd prefer to be in, uh, as you say, somewhere in the Midwest or, uh, you know, here in Southern Ontario. Uh, I used to love, for example, when we were touring, I was doing an interview the other day. And we were talking about Michigan and I said, I love, we were talking about Detroit. And I said, I love playing Detroit. Cobo Hall, an amazing, amazing arena. Joe Lewis Arena, amazing, amazing arena. Fans, phenomenal fans, phenomenal fans. But guess what? The best part of going to Detroit was getting to play the secondaries, getting to play, you know, Grand Rapids, getting to play uh, you know, uh, Kalamazoo, uh, you know, Battle Creek, and, you know, uh, all of those tertiary markets that, that surrounded Detroit, you know were great places. And you know, you, then you, the next thing you know, you're down in Illinois or you're over in Wisconsin, Green Bay, Wisconsin. There's a, there's a city there that everybody knows because of their football team. But I'll tell you what, for a rock and roll town, you cannot beat Green Bay, Wisconsin. So to your point, I think some of the folks that are, uh, you know, that you can be unduly influenced where you, where you grow up. And if, I think if I had grown up in in uh, in, a, in a, a real big metropolis and not had the ability to play sports teams like I did out here in Mississauga, play on baseball teams and 
you know, uh, you know, be part of that whole uh, suburban culture. It, it'd be dif- difficult to stay as grounded. The same thing I would say for Mike and Rick. You know, yeah. so that's why we were able to handle Triumph and nobody got out of control. It makes sense, you know, because it is. It's like it, they always say the Midwest, it's a different work ethic than the coasts. You know, and I just think there's something about it because that's like whenever you meet someone that's from any one of those areas, they always seem familiar to me like they could be from Minneapolis, like I, Mike and I are from. It, it's just there's a thing about it, you know, so maybe that's what it is. You know, well, enough, we got a start like everyone knows that we got it. You know, we got off the ground in Texas as that's where it started for us. But what very few people know is we simultaneously got off the ground in two cities, Louisville, Kentucky, first of all, and Indianapolis. And uh, they were uh, I, I don't know how the seed got planted in those markets, but it did. And as you know, like pre-internet. It was all about regions. It was all about regional radio and 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 markets that were uh, sequestered from each other geographically. So it was much much harder to spread things. And uh, yeah, we got that that uh, in Texas. You know, it's it definitely has its own signature. But in a lot of ways, te- a lot of the Texans are like you know the 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 Midwestern folks as well there's a lot of sim a lot of similar i love texans i really do I oh just, yeah a nice, nice area but we we uh, we were fortunate that we were embraced by america and, and uh you know i i really mean it when i say i love the united states and i i even on one tour uh i took uh my i don't like flying much so i i took my car and i made a deal with one of our crew members and we, we shared driving and we drove the enti- entire U.S. tour. Like I only jumped in a plane when I had to, if there was a too big of a gap. But we were we were doing, you know, 350 mile overnights and stuff like that, driving my car. So uh, I got to see the I got to see the uh, the country that way. And uh, a lot of the shows, Mike was always flying, but a lot of shows just on every every Triumph tour. Uh, we, we didn't ever took buses. We always flew We had private jets when we, when we got big and had the dough to do it. But when we were, you know, flying commercials and, and so on, you know, I would drive in between all the short hops, all the, all the 300 miles or less. And a lot of times Rick would come with me and, you know, we just stop somewhere at some truck stop or some little roadside restaurant or whatever to grab a bite to eat, just to kind of feel the, you know, the, the culture of the people, you know, you go through a place like, Tennessee and you're a kid from from Canada and you've never been there before or you go you know uh, through through uh, you know Kansas or you know a, a lot of the uh, you know uh, I'll call them tertiary areas and you meet the people and you just find out man oh man the United States is like it's a group of countries you know you have these yeah. it's all one country but the states are like individual. I mean, we have provinces, of course, up here. But I feel like the states down there, they have they're they're more uh, they're more defined. I mean, you you really kind of know where you are in the United States based on you know not just the dialect, but a lot of the styles that people have, and yeah. you know they're great. I, that's uh, awesome. yeah. Mark, Mark, let let's let's give Gil one more question, and then we'll. Well, I'm, I got uh, two quick ones again. Gil, on the in the film when you did the the fan thing, you used a four piece kit. No, you're famous for the the big camera kit. What what happened? I was I was well, shocked when I saw that. 
Yeah, well, it was just because of the nature of the, it was the songs we were going to play, and it's sort of the theme of the whole thing was we were keeping it really on the, on the um, I don't know how to explain it, really. I guess it was just the concept of the film to keep everything. They were all, everybody said to me, what are you doing with the little mini drum set? Yeah, that's like, right. That was the first thing I I just want to do it because I've never done it. You know, I just want to do it because it's different. And, uh, you know, it made me feel like a little closer to the audience, I guess, that there wasn't this massive wall of paraphernalia in front of me. So that's what it was. Uh, last last question. This is very important. At least it is to me. Leafs going out in the first round? Or are they going to be Tampa? <laughs> well, I'm not a betting man, and I'm not really sure how to answer that. You know, um, I, I know that I have an awful lot of friends that are Leaf fans, so uh, I better bet on the Leafs because otherwise I'll be abandoned by all of my golf friends. <laughs> <laughs> They'll know. What you... <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I don't it's know funny because, but I guess I, I guess I'm going to go with the Leafs. Yeah, yeah. I, although I'm, you know, I live in Detroit. Uh, Tampa's like my second home. I've went to countless. Matter of fact, I was just in Florida a couple of weeks ago, and what did we do when we were there? Went to a Tampa game with the Wings. Actually, the Wings beat them. But anyways, uh, I don't know what's up with Toronto. I mean, they have all the talent. Well, they don't have his goaltending. Campbell is. I don't know what's what's going on with with that. He actually the very last question I have is any chance, and I'm sure you this is the question you get all. That you can autograph my tour book that you. Well, next, time, <laughs> next time, next time, next time in Toronto, I'm bringing it. It's the only autograph I don't have. But um, seriously though, you guys ever think about doing a proper farewell? A proper tour? what? A proper farewell tour. I'm not catching that. What's that last one? <laughs> I got drummer's ears, by the way. I got hearing aids on both sides. So it's not you, it's me. There you go. There you go. No proper farewell tour? Oh, farewell tour. Oh, okay. Uh, well, one of the things that at Metalworks, we like we have a we have a sound and lighting division to the company. And uh, you know, we do PAs, lighting, all that kind of stuff. But we're working on a, a mixed reality concept that we branded MXR Vision. So my goal is if we can get this, uh, if we can get this up and running the way we envision it, the first project that we're going to do is a triumph tour. So I'll tell you this, though, it will be, uh, it will involve holographic content, but it will not be like the hologram tours that have taken place. And our, our lighting director, Paul, Paul Dexter, who really is kind of the godfather of rock and roll holograms. So he started with, with Ronnie James Dio, uh, God rest Ronnie. Uh, that that's uh that's something that uh is is a quite a strong possibility but that involves that involves actors so uh it doesn't have it would not have uh oh you're breaking my heart you on stage and i know that that's a that's a turnoff right away i probably shouldn't have said it but if this happens trust me it will be it will be better than a live tour with what we've got up our sleeve you gotta trust me on that one mark okay hold it okay. mark I know that's a big ask. Yeah. <laughs> but he's a fanboy. It won't be a problem. He'll be there anyway. Regardless, yeah. he'll be there. Exactly. You know exactly. those fans. Yes. <laughs> Gil, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to, to chat with us about Triumph and throwing a little kiss in there so our KISS listeners don't get pissed at us. It doesn't um, matter. Doesn't well, they're going to be pissed at us anyways. Care. It doesn't really matter. We talk about <laughs> the rock and roll we love. 
yeah. all we do every week. Um, no, thank you so much. This was quite a pleasure. Very enjoyable. Everybody has to get out there and check out the documentary. Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly appreciate your time and uh, it was good chatting with you and having a few laughs and, uh, you know, uh, on, onwards with uh, onwards with your show and uh, yeah, good good luck and I hope you uh, I hope the fans enjoy this episode. Oh, they, they will. will. Thank they you will. so yeah, much. I can't Gil. thank you enough for uh, you know putting up with my geeky stuff. But uh, like I said, uh, you know, Triumph's always been a Gil. Big do deal. you remember seeing Mark in the concert in Detroit? <laughs> he was up in the balcony, the back section. He waved. He waved. Actually, he waved. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that. Like you towards the vomitory. You were making out with a girl, Mark, when he was oh, waving back at you. Show. Well, at least you got the girls first, right? Good for that. <laughs> oh, again, Gil, thank you so much. You were you were a great pleasure. Thank Enjoy you. Enjoy your right. summer. Thanks, Gil. Thanks, Enjoy it. Take care. See you around. Love is Blind, the song that KISS dared to hide away for over 40 years, will finally be released by Shameless, featuring KISS legend Bruce Kulick on lead guitars. Available May 6th, 2022, on YouTube and all digital platforms. Vinyl, CD, and cassette available on May 20th. For more information, please visit shamelessrock.com. So you love the show? Visit threesidesofthecoin.com. Subscribe on YouTube, follow and rate us on Spotify, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate your support. I literally just put my shirt on. There's a pretty good chance. Can we go back in time? I I was literally just putting my shirt on. Like when I just sat down, I just changed my shirt. I mean, it could have been that bad. Well, that's cool because we're recording this. So I was like, could have been it could have been an extra special show. Way to ruin it. So, 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 Lisa, <laughs> I, I'm sorry we we didn't let you in, but I kid you not. When you showed up, Mark was on a roll. He literally was telling Gil about the time he met Triumph after no, the show. No, he and, was not. And everybody in everybody else in Triumph autographed his tour book, but Gil wouldn't autograph my tour book because he was too busy talking to girls. I didn't bother him because he was talking to some girls. That's a true story. There you go. That's what was going on. And I'm like, I, for the sake of the show, I cannot interrupt this incredible (laughs) fanboy moment. And it only got got better from there. Trust me. So here's the homework. The next time any one of you that are listening or watching is standing somewhere around one of the artists you love with your tour book and they're busy talking to a girl. Do you interrupt them to get the dog? <laughs> From now on, I will. <laughs> and, and, and actually, here's another homework question. Any of our listeners, if you ever run into Gil, ask him to autograph something for Mark on three sides of the coin because you wouldn't autograph his tour book because you were he, talking No, to it's not that he wouldn't. I didn't even approach him because he was busy. But by the time that I had, because I ended up talking to Mike Levine for the longest, Rick was mobbed. Mike wasn't mobbed so much. Uh, Gil was busy with the girls. So I got Rick's first, Mike Levine's, and I was waiting, and then their handlers put them all on my. So, so basically, you were honoring the bro code. I was. That's what I mean. I, I so then have it, signed, have it signed to fanboy Mark. He, he, Lisa, he literally was introducing every question. Okay, so 
this is kind of a geeky question. It's true. And, and then the next they one was were. like, so I got I got another geeky, real geeky question <laughs> for you. But we and warned Hold him. on, I got he I got very good about it. I got two more questions and then we're done. And then he asked those questions. So I got one more question. Right. We but we prepared him at the very beginning. So he was aware and we told him just raise your hand if it gets to be too much. And we'll, we'll jump he needed, in. He needed a safe word. Yeah. Oh my God. Mark, the, the, I mean, I think this episode Mark blew away is Ted Nugent fanboy moment. I mean, this is king of fanboy right here. This was it. It's good. I enjoyed it. it. I need a and, cigarette. And, nice and, and just so everybody knows. Mark was literally this close to snapping because he couldn't get connected. I know that's Great. I saw the screenshots. He was freaking out. He was freaking well, out because Gil what, was in the waiting the room. Mark was having internet issues. He couldn't get logged into Zoom. He was like, I'm putting on the iPhone and all of a sudden the iPad shows up. Usually, and- usually when that happens, Mark would be like, fuck it. I'm done. Yeah. Not today. How important Not today. Was. He was trying to log in through the SSO. He was trying. He was ready to call Zoom. Just yes. Oh, exactly. I, I, look, someone on the Zoom board would have not liked me today if we would have got on a, a conference call. But uh, again, you know, Liz came to the rescue and got it going for me. So, um, so I mean, that's what wives do. We fix your issues. That's true. We fix that's your we issues. <laughs> no, we didn't. There's we we got to start with therapy to fix this issue. I, I I I in all serious though, Gil was the best. I mean, what is he the nicest guy? Mm-hmm. He really unbelievably nice. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? He, he would have kept going. Yeah, you know, yeah. I didn't want Mark to keep going. That's why I was texting yeah. Mark. Wrap it up, Mark. Wrap it up. <laughs> you ever see We'd be Dave here four album? hours from now, and Gil would be like. Okay, one more geeky question. I'd be like, dude, just raise your hand. So you know when you played this part of the drums in this song on this album? When you're a whole lot of stuff, to be fair, everything I threw at him, everything I threw at him, he got. He understood. He knew exactly where I was coming from. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm sure you're not the first fanboy he's had to deal with. Yeah, he's met guys like you before. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, this was at a distance. Yeah, not no face doubt. to face. Separation. He's was- very lucky uh, you're not one of those guys sitting in the coffee shop when he walks in. Yeah. <laughs> Although Mark's now like, oh, he hangs out with people in a coffee shop. Well, I'm going like, to Canada. Yeah, he pulls up the map. He's like, okay, Ottawa, Southern Ottawa. Mark will be sitting in the coffee shop with his Triumph tour book waiting for Gil. Right. There so 17, go. if I just go to one a day, I only take maybe three weeks off of work. I got a good shot. Poor Mark. No, not poor Mark <laughs> at no all. Poor it's Mark. Awesome. He's, he's basking. He's basking in, in his, you know. He was truly fandom. as happy as a kid in a candy shop. Mike nailed it. I mean, because you could just many, sit back and watch this, Mark. And this, be is, happy. this is just like, see, you got to remember. I was totally fucked when when Rob Halford was on because my internet kept fucking going down. And I had a whole bunch of more questions for him, but I needed to ask him. This time I got, you know, and again, he answered every Mark actually prepared for this interview, people. We joke. You think we joke, but we never prepare for interviews. We don't put questions together. We just let it flow. 
Yeah. Mark actually prepared questions. Well, well, hold on. I will tell you that Edge of Excess came out, I think, in the early 90s without Rick Emmett. It's very much like what Creatures is to Kiss fans. It was like, okay, they're back after, you know, because those records leading up to that, the last two or three, and he even, had, you know, kind of, you know, say, hey, you know, yeah, we kind of had to do the REO and the Foreigner type songs, the label, you know, and then they were bringing in, you know, which happens, I mean, happened to Aerosmith with different results. Yeah. You know what I mean? They, they made them right with Holly Knight. They, they brought in songs for them. You know, that's what was happening with Triumph. And it really diluted, again, like I said, the band I fell in love with. So when they put in, put out Edge of Excess again without Rick Emmett, but just to keep the Triumph name going, you know, everything mm -hmm. from the album cover, which was darker and had, you know, had the, you know, had more masculine, if you want, sort of look to it. And the songs were a lot heavier, a lot faster, a lot more hard rock and metal, but also very much like songs like Rock and Roll Machine. You know what I mean? Like the band that I fell in love with. So I think if you are a Triumph fan, or if you just like really, really good hard rock and heavy metal, go seek that record out. I think you're going to like it. And again, unlike Creatures of the Night, where the band kept going and then, then fans of the band found it again, you know what I mean? Went back and went, oh, we missed this. That's what I think, you know, that was the last studio track. Yep. And that record is just a smoker. I mean, it's just a really good record. Um, and again, it's, it's all Gil singing, you know, Gil was always the more rock and roll of, of, you know, Rick sang, you know, magic. And again, those great songs, you know, uh, magic power and laid on the line. Those are wonderful songs, but, but like Rick said, you know, or excuse me, like Gil said, Gil sang, you know, tear the roof off. Gil sang allied forces, you know, Gil sang the more heavier rock and roll songs, the, the more metallic ones, if you will. So to have him, you know, front and center, and he's got a great voice, um, you know, just having him front and center and also with, you know, not only uh, the playing with the songwriting and the drums and just everything, that's a really, really, really good overlooked record. So again, Triumph, Edge of Excess, if you can find it, because again, it was it's on, on Spotify. Label. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, give it a, give it a, a listen, man. That's a really good album. So, and again, it's very much like how Creatures of the Night is seen by kiss fans like hey my band's back they're, they're playing like the band that i first fell in love with so, and so yeah, what a great I, guy. I think you know homework question I, you know are you a triumph fan what's your favorite album did you see did you see them in concert did you look at them early on and go wow that lights looks like something kiss would have done the pyro was kiss doing i mean you know gill admitted he was a kiss fan yeah. So, you know, what, what, what's your take? We, we don't want you to go fanboy on us in the comments. We reserve that for Mark. Do you guys have the Max Cell album too? I, <laughs> I, I can picture it. It's a what, white. It's, it's white. white Isn't it like red ink on the cover yes, maybe? A, yes. And it's it. a gatefold and there's yeah. a picture. It's the picture of the international or also known as the American version it was what he was talking about with the pyro picture. I got to go dig that out of my record collection now that you brought it up, because I vaguely remember the song as you were talking about it. And I thought for a second, Mark had 
actually nailed Gil on something Gil didn't know about. Right. I, I would have thought that he would have known that. But, uh, you again, know, well, the truth is, it was probably this this Maxell thing is not like a KTEL record. No, no. This is like the Casablanca singles ones where they I don't know, even remember out... how or where I got it at a record store. I bought it just because, oh, it's Maxell. It must have some cool music on it. I bought it just because it was it had a triumph song on it that wasn't on the record that I had. And this was in the, I want to say 1980. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was a long time ago. It was right when I was really starting to, you know, I was 15 in 1980. It was right about that time because, again, it, it had a song that wasn't on the record. And, and to me at that time, you know, late 79, early 80, you know, I had, you know, uh, just the game and I had rock and roll machine. I had progressions of power. And I knew that those, um, because on the, here's the thing on the American version, blinding light shows on that, which is actually off from the beginning is off their first record. And it's a very proggy type song, but I think it's an awesome song. Um, you know, uh, again, that's even, you know, when we first started talking, I, I thought, you know, maybe there was some ELP inspiration because Rick certainly leaned towards more of the prog and their first couple records had some proggy moments on it. None more so than blinding light show. Here, here is it is. I'm, a, I'm actually, I found it on the internet. It's the Maxell rock sampler. It's got the word rock real big yes. across the front. In what red. year did that come out, Michael? Um, let's see. I'm guessing 79. Yep. Look at that. Boom. 79. The first track is Blinding Light Show Moonchild. slash Moonchild by Triumph. Yes. Then you've Moonchild got. technically the, get the acoustic guitar solo. Then you've got a band called Odyssey. Then Starbuck, Omaha Sheriff, The Straubs, Daryl Hall and John Oates. Rufus, Harvey Mason, and the Alan Parsons Project. So you've got uh, Mike. How, how incredible is that? That I, I got that down to almost a year. I, I probably got mine right then and there. And again, that song wasn't in my lexicon. It didn't wasn't on the first three records. Again, again, you know, at fifteen, I didn't. We didn't have the internet. I didn't even know about from the beginning. You know, the first record. I didn't even know it existed. I thought Rock and Roll Machine was the first one. So, well, there you go. Because I, I also think on the American, the 24 Hours Ago, which I like that song too. Um, I think it's no, I think it's 20. Is that the name of the song? I think it is. Anyways, that's that's on the American version too. I like the Canadian version also too. That's the one I'm biased of because that's the first record I got from him. But uh, again, if, 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 I mean, he's a phenomenal drummer. Um, all three of them. It's funny too because... A lot of times, just because they're Canadian, people talk about the rush similarities. There's none, really. Uh, they don't sound like one another. But one thing they do have in common are all six of them, three in each fan, are incredible musicians. I mean, all those guys. Rick, I tell you what, there's only a handful of guitar players that can do what Rick Emmett did. If you get a chance to check out the Us Festival with... During Rock and Roll Machine, Rick Emmett starts playing this classical piece during the mid middle of Rock and Roll Machine. And the crowd, that whole Us Festival crowd that was just on its feet cheering, like kind of slowed down to listen. 
I mean, it's really, as a musician, that's a pretty amazing thing to do. I, I can only count on one hand how many times I've seen, like, like Richie Blackmore does it on uh, uh, To Catch the Rainbow on, on, on stage, or excuse me, Catch the Rainbow. You know, here they are in front of this raucous rock, crowd, and he breaks into this really beautiful acoustic piece, which he plays on an electric, but I mean, it's, it's, it's meant for that sort of, um, you know, listening. And the crowd is just hushed. And to do that in a rock and roll sort of environment is just says a lot about the player. But, you know, Rick nailed that perfectly at the US Festival. Again, just uh, all three of those guys, phenomenal musicians. And again, I'm so happy that we got to have Gil on to this. Uh, for yeah, me, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it worked out because if, if Mark's Internet didn't work out and we had to scrap this, Mark would have been. We couldn't have. Very we, we, yeah, we wouldn't have been able to talk to Mark. There would have been no show. Mark might have been done. By the done. way, by, let's let's pimp why he was on. Uh, Rock and Roll Machine is going to stream here in the United States. What is the date on that? Dude? I was I was I was kind of bummed we didn't ask him that. As soon as he hung up, I'm like, shit, we didn't pimp the fucking. Well, movie. you you keep talking, and I'll find the um, info here. Yeah. Anyways, I, I'm telling you, if you liked like the super duper Alice Cooper. Um, you're going to love this. If you like any of the banger films, um, all of them are fantastic. Really, I'm not just saying that. Um, well, I think it's streaming now. In America? I think it, Roku's got it. Um, finally ready to stream. Let's see what this... Keep chatting, guys, while I... I don't have anything else to say. It will well, be you know available Tommy, Tommy, worldwide I, on May 13th. So by the time you're watching this, yes. it's available worldwide. That's mm -hmm. what I thought. So May 13th, it's it's gonna it's you can't stream N it now. Nug, Nugs Net, N-U-G-S dot net, the leading platform for live concert streams and recordings. The event will kick off with an exclusive moderated QA with all three members of Triumph. It had its worldwide premiere last year. So yeah, by the time you're 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 um, watching this, you can go head over to Nugsnet. Okay, there you go. Um, you said Nug. Nug. <laughs> look, at, look at Mark. <laughs> He's a Beavis today. Boy, I'm is he Beavis. <laughs> he is he is Beavis and Butthead rolled into one with a little little well, fanboy sprinkled by on the way, top. Uh, Tommy and I are going to be hanging out tomorrow night. I mean, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Tommy. Yes, we are. Above it's the covers or below? Yeah. It's Christmas Eve right now. <laughs> Above. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> Me too tomorrow night, baby. Ooh, threesome. Oh, wonderful. It's going to be a Liz sandwich. Mike sent, me, Mike sent me something. Hold on. A Liz sandwich. <laughs> No. Is Liz talking in the background? <laughs> when when we were when we were doing our interview, you were talking to someone on the phone. So there there somebody somebody was talking in the background. Tommy was muted and I knew it wasn't me and I didn't want to accuse Gil of it. So it was like by default it had to be Mark. Yeah, most Liz was talking. It's not a big deal. So I didn't want to ruin Mark's interview. <laughs> it this was, was this was a very special day for Mark. Oh, let's 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 put it this way. Had my computer not worked, or had my that would have been a very boring interview without me. Let's, let's it wouldn't have happened. 
No, I seriously, I would, I would have emailed the publicist and I said, we need to reschedule it because there's, there's no way Tommy and I could have led with the in-depth comments no, and questions. Like, you don't have stories like, you know, yeah. didn't no. sign the tour book. You didn't, you didn't sign my tour book. Yeah. <laughs> how do you, how do you compete with that? Yeah, that's, I mean, you guys would have just been like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, like, one more question, one more question. One more question, one more. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't have had those one. I wouldn't have dug into the comparisons of the album to Creatures of the Night. I mean, that's that's like Kiss and Triumph fanboy colliding head on. Actually, you know what that was like? That was like sitting through dinner with Mark and Singer. That's what you guys just experienced. He's every bit of a, bit a geek as I am. Yep, that's exactly what it was. And I'm just like, pass the salt. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that role that Alphonse Moussan did? Yeah, that one. Yeah, that's, yeah exactly. Uh, <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of drumstick do you think was used when you played that specific song? I'm using what a 5B Regal they used tip. to make that drumstick? <laughs> Birch. <laughs> Lisa, I mean, Gil was calling Mark by his first name. He was calling him a drummer. And, you know, Mark's ego is pretty big right now. No, I, I tell you what, it, it's it's other drummer. I'm just telling you, drummers aren't like guitar players. Drummers all fucking dig one another. Guitar players seem to hate one another. Drummers are like puppies. We all like, oh, you you do that too. You know what I mean? Are you? I, I'm telling you, that's. People who've been playing drums their whole life, almost it's it's like an unwritten rule. Everybody likes one another. Everybody's complimentary. One, I don't know if it's in the what it is in the DNA or whatever. Because nobody pays attention to you, so at least other drummers will do it. <laughs> Just talking it's drums. The <laughs> as as Liz will tell you, sometimes Eric and I will sit and talk drums for a fucking hour on on you know, and Liz is trying to watch TV, and we're like. Use Bert shells. Liz, Liz is walking by, lifting her shirt, and nobody's paying <laughs> yeah. attention. Two nights in a row in LA, and I'm just like. <laughs> All right, guys, you, you there's plenty of homework. Talk about Triumph. Talk about Mark. Those are the Talk two big drums. things that happened today. Um, leave your questions, your comments. Um, we love reading them all, and. Uh, I hold on. I told you I want people to go listen to Edge of Excess because it's so effing good. And you tell me if you don't agree or if you do agree, that's them coming back to, uh, um, you know, going back to their roots. So there you go. Just make Mark happy in your comments. Yes. There you go. <laughs> He's already happy. Just make him even happier. Well, look, I missed last week, as you guys can tell. I'm in my dining room. This, these are posters that were on the landing. Liz is like, let's put that behind you. It'll look kind of cool. Yeah, so we, 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 we had a conversation about Mark waterproofing the basement. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that. Did you really? <laughs> yep. It's all true. <laughs> <laughs> you be careful what you admit to. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, you might want to think of that. Or you say that, but yeah, so. well, uh, you know, the sad part is I can't go down there for, I mean, won't be able to use it yet for a month. I've got my electric kit, like my practice kit down there. And I got a gig coming up in a couple of weeks. And I like, that's where I normally rehearse on like in between gigs. So I have no way to rehearse. I've got all my kiss stuff in the middle of the room with all the other stuff. Everything's piled up with plastic. 
It's Lisa, totally... your work wife's behind you. I know. We're going to see Dr. Strange. My, my son said it was awesome, but he said it's very dark. Can we wrap up, guys? Otherwise, Mark is just going to keep going on forever here. Jeez. Yeah. Well, you gotta yeah, I want to. It was his entire show, and he wants to keep talking. Sometimes we can't get him to open his mouth on the show. Well, hold on. Look, oh, no. What you did, Mike? What is wrong with you? Jeez, <laughs> so, one guy said something, and I'm like, I'm listening. Tom's telling his fucking story. <laughs> Lisa wanted to reach through Zoom and slap me right there. No. Come on, Lisa, you put in a whole fucking 15 minutes today. <laughs> <laughs> There's truth there. But no, no, seriously, she was here at the she was here at the beginning. Well, uh, I made the executive call not to interrupt Mark. Yeah. Yeah, but you weren't even to put her that fucking was, shirt back. So funny. we did this for you, Mark. Remember yeah, that. Yeah, but, for you. And I was sitting here this whole damn time. In my work clothes, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to get ready to no, go. No work so, clothes, no shirt. You told us you just I put your top back on. Changed my shirt, and then I literally, I swear, that's when you saw me sitting down. I was like pulling right, the show shirt. Show it. <laughs> imagine if I didn't like I did it over here in the kitchen of the hotel room, <laughs> naked. You're a dirty birdie. Let's just end it on that thought, please. All right. Please. All right, I'll three sides of the coin. We're 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 out of here. We'll see everybody next week. Bye, guys. Voices for three sides of the coin provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.